You are listening to Friends of Europe's podcast. Don't miss our debates on global and European issues that span political, economic, social and environmental challenges and follow our website at friendsofeurope.org. So the conversation continues and this panel is about the economic situation in the Western Balkans and how the EU and the countries in the region are working together to upgrade and improve the economic performance. So if you look at the picture today of the region, I, I guess you get a rather mixed uh, picture. Economic performance is picking up, but still not enough, obviously. A lot of catching up to do, clearly. Um, implementation of economic reforms remains, if I could put it mildly, a challenge in many parts of the region. And of course, the big concern for everyone is the high unemployment rate, especially among young people. And if you look at the European literature and you look at all the different uh, meetings that have been held, it's always the European Union, the Commission, pushing for the six countries to create a truly regional economic area. And I think that also is one of the priorities, uh, perhaps, for the next Commission strategy that will come out. Um, let, let's have a look at a quote from Debating Europe, uh, put up now by my colleagues. And the panel listened to it now. So Adriana from Italy says, even if Balkan countries don't join the EU soon, the membership process and reforms it involves are good for the region. So there should be no rush to join. The process is worth doing properly. So uh, I think that's uh, an interesting comment that you should keep in mind when we embark on this conversation. So on this panel, uh, to take this conversation forward and give uh, their points of view, we have uh, Christian Danielson. He's, of course, European Commission Director General at DG NIR. Uh, thank you very much, Christian, for being here. Uh, we also have the pleasure of welcoming Leila Ibranovic, Executive Director at Transparency International, uh, based in Bosnia-Herzegovina. Uh, Miguel Morgada, Director for the Adriatic Sea Region at the European Investment Bank. Thank you very much for being here as well. Uh, Erna Sasevich, she's Chief Executive Officer at bizbook.ba. Uh, it's an online business uh, platform for companies primarily focusing on economics. And last but not least, our partner and good friend, Goran Slevanovich, Secretary General at the Regional Corporation Council. Goran, thank you very much for being here also. Um, let's kick off with you, Christian. So uh, I've been reading up on what you've been saying and doing on the Balkans, and one of your key messages really has been now that it's time to bring the EU membership into reality, but the great responsibility for this lies with the countries of the Western Balkans. Elaborate for five minutes. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. We are in the economic field now, and I think that is a, a good example of, of responsibility. Now, um, if we look on the Western Balkan up to the crisis, uh, fairly, fairly good results. Uh, but if you look on the economic model, it was one that to a large extent was based on consumption and remittances. And that, to be honest, long-term, at least uh, World Bank, and we share that view, is not sustainable. Here comes the crisis, and after the crisis, you see a change. And you can see how countries in the Western Balkan has adopted another approach and more focused on export, more focusing on investments. But the challenges are huge. And you mentioned them. I mean, we are talking about the issue of unemployment, uh, youth unemployment in particular, running between 17 and 33 percent. And if you look on the youth unemployment, it's for some countries the double. It's the whole issue of inactivity. The fact that people are not living out of the work, but they are living out of transfers and remittances, and that has consequences also for societies. It's the whole, it's the whole issue also of, uh, of the access to financing, which is uh, having a, a problem, it creates a problem for the country as such in, in how, they, how they shall move forward. It's a question of productivity. It's a pressure of equality, which was mentioned at the last panel, the fact that there are huge income discrepancies between, within these countries. And there is the whole challenge of the business environment and linked to that rule of law and everything that comes with it. Now, I'm bringing that up because when talking about responsibilities for change, I think this is very much to the heart of the, of the change that is called for. And it is also very much at the, at the heart of what is the 
whole European path, the perspective of becoming members of the EU. Because, as was said by Prime Minister Rama at the last um, session, what is very much driving this change is, in fact, that perspective. And what does it boil down to? Well, it boils down to institutional changes, and Prime Minister Rama was absolutely right in underlining the importance of institutions here. Institutions for providing a, a, an environment which is conducive for business, conducive for entrepreneurs, conducive for startups, and an environment which also is conducive for direct investments. Because the big, the big potential that is here is not only the individual countries as such. The potential is the regional cooperation, which now is, we have embarked on through the regional economic area, which Goran and I are working very closely on. But the really big potential is the integration into the EU internal market. And in order for that to happen, these structures need to be addressed. And it is about very much also about rule of law and the whole issue of functioning of judiciary and fighting corruption. It is about seeing too that the government takes a stand when it comes to economic policy, which is not to be the drivers of the economy, but rather the providers of the framework for the economy to grow, the provider for the regulations that are called for. And this is what we are trying to help them with, with the whole pre-accession strategy, because that is what the EU is also very much about. And I don't go into everything we do, but that's very much part and parcel of what we're doing. It's a big challenge, but what is positive here is that I feel very strongly that there is a big commitment among the leaders, and I believe also within the society in the countries concerned, to move in this direction. It will be painful, but for, for some, but it will deliver also the results which will be able to address the big challenges that are out there. So Christian, we've been talking about these challenges for some time now. I mean, what you're saying today, I think you could have said last year as well, and it would have been perhaps the same diagnostic. I'd like to know what has changed? Has anything changed? And will your new approach, your new strategy, the next, the goalpost, the summits, Will that, will that change the dynamics, or will we be doing the same old, same old? I think we have seen a change over the last couple of years in terms of change in, in, in direction of the economic models. If you look on Serbia and the export performance, investment performance of Serbia, and also the frameworks that have been established, it is the right direction. If you look on what Prime Minister Rama is trying to do in Albania, same direction. If you look on the former Yugoslav Republic of Macedonia, also such steps have been taken. Mm -hmm. So you have seen it over a, a period which I would say after the crisis and realizing that the former model perhaps was not the best one. What needs to be now, happen now, in my view, is a step change, a, a further focus, a, a further effort in order to address these issues. And one important element in that context is the regional cooperation. Mm -hmm. Because it provides, on the one hand, for the potential, uh, 18 million, million uh, uh, consumers, if you would like to use that term, uh, with today a very low level of trade between them, which can easily uh, go forward. And it also provides a bit of competition, a sense that, you know, my neighbor is doing something which I should also do. And, and that also drives the thing forward. But more importantly, a political commitment that came out of Trieste, which is clear and which is unanimous among the leaders, to follow the roadmap which Goran is working on now very strongly, and which, if, if and I'm, I'm sure it will deliver, will provide for addressing many of the issues which are today hindering a regional development in, in the, in the, among the six. Mm -hmm. We'll come back to some of the uh, issues you've raised and the constructive competition that you've talked about. No, it's not Goran yet. Ah. <laughs> to, I know, but we're, we're, reserved, we're getting him at the end so he gives an overview of everything. So, Leila, let's, let's turn to you now. Transparency International, of course, very much focused on uh, corruption, accountability, obviously transparency as well. And you know, we have talked quite a bit about corruption. It's not a problem only in the Balkans, God knows. No, that isn't the case everywhere. But how, in, 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 a, in a moment where we really need to attract investments, get business uh, environment correct, how much of a hindrance is the corruption uh, issue for, for countries there? 
Yes, good morning, uh, everybody. Uh, it's a great pleasure to be here, and I would like to thank the organizers for giving me the opportunity to speak about this very important issue, because as we're all aware, uh, corruption uh, and weak rule of law uh, are basically represent the biggest challenge for the Western Balkans countries on their, on their path to the, to the uh, EU. Uh, I would like to go back to what was previously said uh, by in, in a previous panel, to the, to the statement that Western Balkans countries are in good shape and that the progress is visible. I would uh, be highly skeptical about claiming that, especially when it comes to uh, the fight against corruption and the rule of law, because we have seen over the past couple of years in the Western Balkans that policy reforms that have been undertaken uh, were under circumstances where uh, certain retrograde tendencies in, the, in the terms of state of democracy, political accountability, and rule of law were, vis were visible across the, the region. The latest uh, uh, European Commission um, progress reports for the Western Balkans, um, for all the Western Balkans countries apart from, from Kosovo, state that uh, uh, most of the countries have achieved some level of preparation in the fight against corruption. What does it mean? It means that they have set uh, solid legislative and institutional frameworks. However, enforcement is largely missing. And why is that? This is because uh, in most of the Western Balkans countries, uh, institutions are weak. Therefore, there is really arbitrary and consistent implementation of the legislation. There are huge political pressures. And we have most of the Western Balkans countries are displaying this characteristic of state, state captured. Um, basically, uh, institutions are captured by political uh, elites, and this is achieved through uh, political appointments and, and fiscal uh, blackmail. And we have, as a consequence of that, we have also judiciary, which is highly inefficient despite ongoing judicial uh, reforms in most of the, of the countries. Uh, but these reforms have not yet uh, uh, ensured the independence and integrity of uh, judiciary. Uh, corruption represents uh, one, according the surveys, different surveys uh, which were carried out, uh, one of the biggest uh, obstacles uh, to doing uh, business along with uh, political instability, informal economy, which constitutes uh, across all of the Western Balkans countries a great, great uh, really big percentages of the, of the GDPs, uh, along with uh, poor infrastructure, Access to, to finance in some countries, there's also a pro there are also problems with access to, um, to electricity. But uh, we have uh, corruption and other forms of crime, uh, including uh, embezzlement, fraud, uh, extortion, uh, cronism, really constitute the biggest hindrance to doing business in the Western Balkans and have a negative impact on, on uh, private investments, uh, on the investments in general. Um, Surveys have shown that uh, bribery across, um, across the Western Balkans countries is highly prevalent, bribery, uh, bribery in terms of doing business uh, with, with public uh, um, officials, and that 13% uh, of annual sales of businesses are basically uh, uh, spent on, on, on corruption, uh, on, on corruption uh, practices. Um, as I said, despite some uh, differences uh, among countries uh, in terms of corruption, and this is evident uh, also on the Transparency International Corruption Perception Index uh, scores, uh, most of the countries share the same characteristics of the weak rule of law, uh, unreliable contract enforcement, uh, weak capacity of judicial institutions, especially in terms of settling commercial uh, disputes. Um, as I said, informal, informal economy, which uh, leads to, to, to tax um, revenue losses, lack of labor uh, protection, um, weak and accountable uh, administration. Uh, another thing which I would like to highlight also, is which, and which is really dangerous and, and goes back to the, to the phenomenon of state capture and actually illustrates the, the political aspect of state capture is 
uh, unlawful uh, financing of political parties by businesses. And surveys have shown that uh, uh, 4%, businesses have reported 4% of the, their turnover uh, goes to uh, unofficial uh, payments to, to political, uh, to political uh, parties. Another vital aspect of corruption is, of course, public procurement, and that is where, uh, where uh, most unwarranted external uh, influences are seen, and there is a huge diversion of uh, public funds. And this is also, according to the Global uh, Competitiveness Report 2017, uh, most all of the countries of the Western Balkans, uh, Western Balkans region are really performing badly on that right. uh, index when it comes to diversion of public funds and undue external influence. So Leila, you've painted uh, a picture which is quite grim, huh? dragging the whole region down. Do you have, I mean, very, very briefly at this point, any one or two recommendations? Because it seems to me that you're pointing to a mindset issue, not just institutions and law, but also mindsets. So how do you change the dynamics of this? I, I believe that we need, we need strength, uh, strong institutions, but uh, given the fact that uh, we are in this kind of uh, state capture, it is really difficult now to envisage the, the solution, how to get out of this uh, situation. Uh, but uh, what needs to be done as a matter of priority is increasing transparency and accountability of public administration and also depolitization of public administration, meaning more transparent and merit-based recruitment, introducing stronger conflict of interest uh, mechanisms uh, so strengthening these integrity mechanisms and also strengthening transparency of public procurement. Right. And as I mentioned before, also one vital aspect is really improving the transparency of political party finances, especially when it comes to the expenditures mm -hmm. of political party financing. Right. I'm sure that uh, Goran and then Christian will come to that as well. But let me turn now to Miguel. So you heard uh, a rather, let's say, uh, grim picture of what's happening in the region in terms of the business environment, the economic environment, and how that's going to discourage uh, investors, I, I suppose domestic as well as foreign investors. But the EIB is uh, out there, right? Doing rather innovative things, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, um, well, first of all, thank you very much uh, for this invitation to give us the possibility of expressing our views about the uh, challenges and opportunities in, in the region. Uh, the EIB um, was created at the same time as the uh, European Community back in 1957 and it is operating in the Western Balkans from 1977, so uh, as far away as that. Um, we are the long-term financing uh, instrument to basically achieve the EU policy goals, which in this case is basically to create the conditions for integration and accession of this region to the European Union. We have um, very much uh, supported over the years uh, basic infrastructure, um, railways, uh, roads, um, energy, um, but also sectors like environment uh, and also support to small and medium-sized companies through a variety of uh, quite effective instruments. Um, we have accumulated a total exposure to the uh, region in excess of 6 billion euros. Our uh, normal activity in terms of uh, financing to the region is on average about 400 million per annum. And um, particularly in the context of the new Economic Resilience Initiative, uh, which was basically a request by the European Council back in March 2016, we are very much uh, willing and prepared to reinforce even more uh, this contribution to uh, investment in the region. Uh, actually, the idea is to approximately double the average uh, amount uh, of financing to the region. Um, the Western Balkans recently uh, have performed quite well in macroeconomic terms. However, there is uh, always a very dark point in the region, which is unemployment, and which is particularly youth unemployment. Um, there is a strong potential uh, in the region uh, because uh, youngsters are, I believe, willing to progress and to actually create uh, own enterprises and to go away from uh, possibly more comfortable public sector jobs. 
But for that, I think that there is the need of uh, creating a certain number of incentives. Um, and uh, the EIB is uh, actually equipped uh, with uh, both long-term loans uh, to small and medium-sized companies to uh, create and secure jobs as well as to foster training. We have also the so-called Enterprise Development and Innovation Facility, which provides um, guarantees and venture capital in order to enhance the risk-bearing capacity of uh, financial intermediaries on, on the ground. Um, we are also in the context of the Economic and Resilience Initiative uh, uh, launching uh, what we call the Impact Finance Window. This basically means um, uh, promoting self-employment, um, promoting entrepreneurship uh, through equity and through microloans. Uh, so these are very, very concrete steps, uh, and actually I would like to remind uh, Jean Monnet who said that Europe is built up uh, by small, concrete steps, and preferably bottom-up instead of top-down. And the EIB is actually trying to contribute with these uh, small uh, steps, uh, which, by the way, given the figures that I just uh, provided to you, are not that small, actually. I would just like to finish um, with, with two ideas. First of all, I think that foreign direct investment is very important. Um, it is very important to uh, take advantage of uh, companies willing to invest in the region with best practices, with innovative procedures, with new technologies, and also to create the um, conditions for those investments to spread into clusters. So it is not, they should not be a sort of islands in the, uh, in, in, the, in the respective countries. They should trigger uh, other investments upstream and downstream. Um, uh, and uh, the other thing is, uh, I think it is also very important to establish partnerships. Partnerships between uh, universities and research centers in the region as well as outside of the region with companies as well as with individuals. Mm -hmm. I can, for example, think of creating incubators uh, for uh, startups and early stage companies. I can uh, also um, uh, think of spin-offs from universities. Right. Uh, so this is a whole raft of, of, of ideas and, and instruments on which we are very much willing to contribute or right. continue contributing. Right. And I, I, I would imagine that uh, the setting up of a regional economic area would, would help the F EIB also to be more present in the region uh, rather than fragmented, right? Yes, well, actually, we, we are uh, already uh, in this approach. Uh, we are great contributors to the connectivity agenda. Right. Just to, to mention uh, a specific case, this is what I would call hardcore infrastructure. Yeah. But we, we are also financing, for example, judiciary uh, buildings uh, in Serbia or uh, clinical centers and hospitals in Bosnia right. and so on and so forth. So we, we are very diversified in terms of uh, our contribution because actually growth and development, as I told yesterday, as I said yesterday, is a, an holistic uh, process and, and approach. Unfortunately, we need to tackle everything more or less at the same the time. At the same time, right. Thank you very much. Uh, Erna, so you're quite a remarkable young lady, uh, uh, among many remarkable young ladies here, I have to say. Um, you have founded your own online B2B uh, platform. And you left, uh, I think, a traditional job to venture into this new area. So tell us what you've achieved and how you're working to make this into a broader uh, vision. Um, hello, everyone. Um, my country, Bosnia and Herzegovina, still faces uh, a lot of economic challenges. Uh, but in that challenge, there's also an opportunity to create something new, to do more for my country. So I created an online B2B network, uh, actually platform where every company can create its profile and publish uh, uh, the offers of the products or services and also demand what they need from other companies. Uh, that platform was primarily 
basic only uh, on Bosnia and Herzegovina. And then I just feel urged to do something more. Uh, now that platform is open for all the region, I'm aiming uh, the market of 24 million people. I want all companies from Balkans to be on the platform and to do business among each other. So that is, that is my final goal. Uh, my government didn't do anything to support me in that, uh, that project, so I decided to do it on my own. And uh, what, in, in all that path, I just saw the, the all, all of my mentors, actually, that are from all over the world, said this is the project of a national significance. So, so you really need the support from your country. And I said, no, I don't. I will do this because the government is not my country. I am my country. So I will do it on my own, and I will give them more value. Uh, to, to my people and to my entrepreneurs. So I really think that entrepreneurship is the, the way to the future because it creates more jobs, it solves new problems, and also drives, uh, drives more spendings. Uh, so also, I think that our government needs to realize that the uh, greatest, uh, greatest natural resources we have are the human minds. And uh, as soon as they realize it, uh, they need to invest and focus more on cultivating entrepreneurship. If they do, I'm sure that we can become a vibrant economy uh, with dynamic entrepreneurs leading a catch-up race with the wealthiest, uh, wealthiest countries in Europe. Uh, also, that could mean um, creating conditions for a bigger and internationally competitive private sector, which would encourage you to stay in Bosnia and Herzegovina and the diaspora to return and invest uh, in export-oriented sectors that can generate sustainable productive jobs. Uh, the fact is that on every 100 uh, Bosnians, 27, only 27 has a job, and half of them works in a public sector. So it, its statistic is bad, but I think that every one of us can take a role uh, and take a part in that uh, economic play and do our, our deal. So, Anna, uh, given the fact that the government didn't help you, you had to rely on yourself, I mean, these are, these are big challenges. Do you think the young people of the region have the capacity and the determination to overcome such challenges and, you know, go from the public sector to the more risky uh, adventure of private entrepreneurship? Uh, I think they do, but there is a big fear. You know, I have a 10 years of working experience, and, been, and I know what it's like to, be, to work hard for your, for your salary. But when you, when you tell young people that about 20 years old and tell them that you have to work hard, they are so scared, you wouldn't believe it. And they really don't want to, to, to step out to do something. Uh, so I decided to, to, to take my part, and now I'm mentoring three young students who wanted to leave country after the graduation. And first thing I tell them, you have only one country. Wherever you go, Bosnia will always be your country. And second, we don't have any more jobs, so we have to create our own. So you have to think, you have to innovate, you have to try to, to do something to make an effort. And I think we all could do a better living in our country. Thank you very much. We'll turn afterwards to the young people and get some of their sentiments. Not that you're not young, Erna. Uh, but let's, let's turn to Goran. But before we turn to Goran, let's have a look at what the RCC uh, is doing. What is the current focus of the RCC? Please watch with me.
Thank you. So, Goran, you're going to stand up and sing it to us as well? Perhaps dancing. <laughs> okay, we'll do it later. So, My successor is singing. Okay. I can dance. Okay. So, let's just follow up on all these very striking achievements. What still needs to be done? You've heard all our just panelists. Just implement. <clears throat> implement. Well, okay, that's Thank simple. you very much right. for joining forces. Uh, thanks also to the EU for supporting us in this endeavor. What the Prime Ministers have agreed, we try to display. There are four pillars of what we refer at as regional economic area, and this is the multi-annual action plan. It is about implementation. These four pillars. One is CEFTA plus. It's free trade. We have already agreed and implemented the free trade in goods. What is to be done now is to actually implement the next step, and this is free trade in services. And this is the agreement reached. And the second element there is removal of non-tariff barriers. Uh, Erna, I, I loved what you have said now because we are also trying, together with the coordination of Chamber of Commerce, the private business, to actually have something like this to list what are these non-tariff barriers, what is the problem between Serbia and Bosnia and Herzegovina, why the trucks are there, to really list this and then go through implementation, meaning remove one by one. So this is the first pillar, and I would say the substantial one. The second one is uh, this, uh, it was displayed there, and this is competitiveness. In order to have more of a competitiveness, we thought there is a need really to present the region as a single investment destination, and they have agreed on that. Mm -hmm. And second, to go for what we refer at as a regional investment reform agenda, meaning to try to harmonize investment policies, because what we have realized is that the competition between our economies is going very high in order to attract investors, and they offer too much. We believe they offer too much. Subsidies, fiscal cuts, cheap labor. And we don't want this to happen. We'd like them to get as close as possible to, its, to actually harmonize policies. This is very well supported by the private business because then investors, if they come to Sarajevo, then they would rely on investing around and that the, the rules are going to be similar, if not very much the same. The third element is very well supported by everyone. All governments are competing when it comes to digitalization. Digitalization in this case is to follow the model of the EU on the roaming, and we are working. I had a very good meeting last week here in Brussels with the team of the Commissioner Gabriel, because what we see happening as we downsize the prices among ourselves, well, the providers are increasing the prices between us and the EU member states. And there, the helping hand by the Commissioner Gabriel is great. She promised to come up with a roadmap. Mm -hmm. How do we do both? So downsize the prices among us and also between us and the EU. They will prepare the roadmap and soon it will be disclosed in the course of the next year. And everything related to using digital in order to reform the public administration is fully supported. And the last element is to provide more for a free movement. It was raised in the first panel, mm -hmm. and rightly so. And there we are working on two goals, and this is skills and mobility, meaning we are handling negotiations on full and automatic recognition of diplomas. That's been agreed. And we hope then to provide for, well, for those who graduate to freely move around to try to work. If they graduate medical school in Sarajevo, to come to Belgrade, or to Novi Pazar, or to Pristina, and try to do it if they have an offer. And a second element is to standardize professions using the EU accession process and standardization existing within the EU. So this is an attempt to increase, first of all, a regional trade, as we have seen that the overall trade between us and the EU goes well but the trade among ourselves is not going up, and we would like to use the potential. This is the agreement. It is not a custom union. It is not a single market. It is less, but I'd say that we are on a good path to intensify and maximize the potential of regional when it comes to our individual paths to the EU. So, Goran, one of the magnificent things about you is that you make it sound simple. You make it sound simple, uh, countries, you know, they have a program and they will do it. It's not that simple. This wait, is wait, not I what I'm promising. I have a question. The thing is, can we, are we putting the cart before the horse? In other words, can we have real regional economic integration without reconciliation? Well, when it comes to reconciliation, uh, I'd really like to share this uh, statement. 
What is the problem with the decisions recently made by uh, either the ICTY, so individual responsibility, or also very important cases handled by the International Court of Justice, also in The Hague, is that we have never really discussed the legal effects of the decisions, the moral effects of the decisions, and the political effects. So this is the disagreement we are observing recently. Right. The decisions are there, but then you see the debate because we've never really reconciled what are the legal, what are the moral, and what are the political uh, effects. What do I mean? Let me explain. I'm a lawyer. I apologize. Very quickly, yeah? I apologize. This is actually to give an answer to a question. Is the basis of our relationship Let's use Croatia, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Serbia, Bosnia and Herzegovina. Dayton or Washington? Or Dayton plus the court decisions? Some believe that it is the Dayton, and some believe it is the Dayton plus the court decisions. And that's, well, this was a legal explanation of the political issues we are faced with. Right. Right. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, let me turn now to our, our young representatives from the region. And uh, I'd like to turn to Mare from Macedonia. Mare, do you want to come in very briefly on what you've heard? Yes, thank you. Um, I'm Mare, the representative of Macedonia and a former uh, scholar of the Konradanawa Stiftung. Thank you for inviting us here. Uh, I'd like to first uh, reference the tweet at the beginning of the panel that said the accession process itself is doing enough good for the region and there's no need to rush the Balkan countries to join the EU. I appreciate that may be the viewpoint of someone from within the EU, but that is not the viewpoint of young people in the Western Balkans, uh, mainly because the reforms can be very positive and, and do much good. However, young people from the Balkans will still be discriminated against at the border controls. They will still be discriminated against when they apply for jobs, and they will still be discriminated against in terms of education opportunities because in many countries around the EU, the university fees for non-EU citizens are double dose than for EU citizens. So I would not agree with my Italian peer. Um, in terms of the business and trade issue, the EU is Macedonia's number one trading partner, and that is mainly because for many years we have had um, free uh, trade agreement with EU countries. Um, and um, we are at a point where uh, many uh, small and medium enterprise business owners and foreign investors coming into the country would like to expand their trade with other large markets such as the Chinese market or the Russian yeah. market. And even though everyone agrees that we see our future as part of the European Union family, uh, they would still want us to have some kind of a free trade agreement with Russia like Serbia does. However, it has been strongly suggested that beginning such trade negotiations would be seen as turning our back on the EU. And I would like to ask uh, Mr. Danielson, uh, why are those two issues being mixed and why is the growth of business held hostage to politics? Thank you. Thank you very much, Mara. So, Era, would you like to come in and uh, please be brief as well? Yeah. Yes, so I am Era Ashari. I'm a youth delegate from Kosovo. And considering the fact that uh, more than 60% of the population in Kosovo is young people, which should be used or should be actually a catalysator for growth. Instead, it's a very big problem because we also have the highest rate of unemployment in Western Balkans. And this is happening, of course, because of the skills gap of the business environment, focus on the public sector, but mostly is happening because of the lack we have in the institutions, the lack we have in the EU, and the loss of hope we had. We can talk all day about regional economic area, but we have to be more practical yeah. because we still cannot uh, travel with our, we have not, we're not accepted with our documents right. so, Eric, do within you have the a region. Do you have a question? So uh, my question would be, uh, Actually, my comment would be to be more practical uh, and to be treated equally within okay. the region. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, I don't know if, Irena, you want to come in, but if you do, uh, you'll have to be very, very brief. So go ahead. Yeah. I want to turn to other members of the okay. audience as Thank well. Thank you very much. I will try to be very short. Uh, we heard some of the incentiveness that uh, European investment bank, bank are 
offering. So I think that we are working now on the strategy for Western Balkan. I think that those incentives should find their place in that strategy, but that, uh, that strategy also should include uh, voice of youth and to work together to find another mechanism, another innovative mechanism to employ those young people on the Western Balkans, but because as we can see, those young unemployed people in the Western Balkans are actually the cause and the source of other any other problems like social and political tensions, radicalism and nationalism. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you very much. So three very pointed questions at the panelists. Let's take a few more questions from the floor. I see a lady over there. Once again, my plea for brevity stands for you as well. And yes, okay, great. Yes, please. Hi, hi. my name is Diana Barisha from Kosovo. Uh, going to try to be short, although it's... You don't have to try, you have to be short. I have to be short, you but have to be it's short. quite impossible. No I'm one sorry, so, we don't so have many, much time. So many issues to discuss here. Sure. Okay, my, my comment and question for Mr. Goran. Do you know how long it takes for me to get a visa to, get to, to, be, to go to Bosnia? I have to apply six months in advance to go there. On the other hand, uh, Kosovars are the only country, the only people in the region that are absolutely isolated, the only places where they can travel freely are Albania and Macedonia. This to, to, uh, to talk about free movement. On the other side, uh, and I'm talking about ordinary citizens not being able to travel, I'm not talking about uh, criminals and people that have committed crimes against humanity, because those have already found their places yeah. in, in can, can you move on, Europe. please? Because if you on want side, answers, yes, I, if you absolutely. want answers, you have to be brief. Love, I would love to have your comment also in the issue of energy sector. You do know, perhaps, uh, and you could help me uh, clarify the issue with the interconnection between Albania and Kosovo to try to complement one another, one another country with electricity needs in the peak, in the uh, peak time. That has been blocked for many years by Serbia for uh, political can, reason. Okay. How does the, the question is, how does this contribute to the regional cooperation, to the definition of regional as a single market and with great potential for European Union integration? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for those very interesting and pertinent questions. I had a hand that, yes, sir. Could you put your hand up again? Did you put up your hand? Yes, please. Can you keep your hand up? Yes. The gentleman, yes. First the gentleman, yeah. Okay. Well, then you may lose your chance. <laughs> it's okay. If the lady is short, that will be fine. Uh, I'll be short. Okay. Zamira Podahirs from Luxembourg. I have a question for the guy from European Investment Bank. Uh, recently, one of the projects that uh, Albania applied to European Investment Bank was not approved. I've heard that very frequently that some of the projects have not been financed or grounded. So my question is that do the... Um, public administration lack capacities to write a good project or is uh, your grid so uh, difficult that they cannot get through? Thank you. Thank you. Okay, sir, go ahead. Thank you. I'll be, I'll be short too. Uh, the question especially for... Uh, Just identify yourself. Stefano Stefanini, Atlantic Council. Uh, Christian uh, Danielson. Uh, don't you think that uh, the EU approach still is a little bit of mindset of the 90s and early 2000s with a bit of complacency, in the sense that uh, at the time it looked like uh, the, uh, the Western Balkans had nowhere to go but to Europe. Yeah. Now there are also alternatives. There's yeah. Russia, there's China. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. I'm going to go in another direction now. I'm going to start with Erna. So would you like to take some of the questions that came from the floor to respond? You don't want to answer. There were quite a few questions from the young people. Um, just uh, about um, the, the path of entrepreneurship, that it's really important that young people realize that they have to turn to their own uh, country. And if they don't, they, wherever they go to Europe, they will always be someone else's workers and they have to go send back to their own families. That's what happens to my friends, for example. The, the families are splitting and they're just leaving because they don't see the solution. We really think. I really think that the only way is just to start 
if you don't, if you cannot get a job, just start your own and just try to find your way out because there are people who can help you. Uh, the private sector, some incubators, accelerators. Uh, in Bosnia, we have a lot of them, but now none of none of uh, young people can hear about it because it's not uh, top news in our media. So uh, I think that that's, that is one way uh, to the future. But you talked about mentoring. Do yeah, enough I, people mentor? Uh, no, unfortunately not. They don't see the benefit in that area. That, that's what I learned from my mentors from all around the world, that they just take some people who want to do something differently and just teach them how to do it. That, that's what I'm doing now. I'm just trying to, to help someone else to, to see the, the, the future in our country. Right. Miguel, please. Okay, thank you. Um, two questions. One, I think I will answer very quickly. Um, the one you raised, um, indeed we are very much uh, available and willing to contribute to the definition of a strategy to find new and more exciting opportunities for youth employment and training. And uh, by the way, we are in very close contact with the European Commission, particularly the engineer. Um, and we provided inputs um, to the uh, annual enlargement report and we are also um, uh, willing to provide um, inputs and, um, and ideas about the uh, enlargement strategy. So it goes without saying that we, we are there to try to, to contribute not only with finance and money but also with concepts and ideas. Um, we are also very keen of um, uh, fostering uh, cooperation with other key stakeholders, not only the European Commission, but also other IFIs um, on the ground, like the World Bank, the EBRD, and so on. On the question uh, on, on, on Albania, um, the EIB uh, has a, a very clear set of uh, rules, procedures, and requirements uh, to actually uh, go ahead with financing projects. Um, we need to validate the technical, economic, uh, environmental, financial, legal um, validity of the projects. And if and when the projects are in compliance with uh, those requirements, we are of course very, very eager of moving ahead and of financing them. I must say also that, uh, and this is a point that uh, it is very important, is um, capacity building. I, I think that uh, there is, uh, in some cases, lack of, indeed, of capacity, not only by the public sector, but also by the private sector, to design and implement uh, sound projects. And this is not just a sort of uh, statement without consequences, because on top of ideas and financing, we can also provide technical assistance, advisory. Uh, and for example, again, in the context of the Economic and Resilience Initiative, uh, the EIB has pledged nothing less than 90 million euros precisely to support okay. promoters to design good projects that eventually will get our financing. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Leila? I think there were no questions addressed uh, to me, but maybe I can yes, comment on uh, on the fact of the of the importance of education and uh, and and mobility. I think that's the key, and, uh, and, and ensuring that uh, young people from the Western Balkans can uh, participate in in EU exchange programs is really of of. Uh, uh, highest uh, importance, uh, but again, uh, also I would like to uh, to go back to the fact that uh, okay, youth unemployment is really huge across the Western Balkan Balkans countries, and the young people actually do not uh, have any hope that uh, something can can change, and uh, that is why uh, they they perceive that. Uh, um, Employment, let's say, in the public administration is highly politicized, is highly corrupt. They don't see that their diploma or qualifications can actually uh, benefit them. They see that the only uh, uh, criteria are political or familiar uh, connections. And this is why it is extremely important to uh, work on the depolitization to, uh, of the public administration to increase the trust of citizens' institutions because citizens have basically lost uh, trust in the institutions and they perceive all these uh, processes as highly, uh, highly biased. Thank you very much. Before going to Christian, let's go to Goran first. So Goran, um, 
Would you? Okay, I'll try to answer three out of Please. several questions. First, on the end date relevance, this is what uh, Madam Dear was raising. I am fully in agreement with you. It is bloody important to have an idea when the process is going to be completed. It is about the process. I can easily give you a nice story how important it is. And I love Greek poets, including Kawafi. It is about the sailing. But it is hugely important to have a, an idea. I'm not saying the end date, but the horizon. Therefore, the best thing happening in 2017 that we are completing was a statement of a state of a nation by uh, head of the commission, Juncker, and the letter to the European Parliament. Now we will start believing again in the EU future of our countries, not in the EU perspective. So, of course, as it is very important to have an idea when this process is going to be completed, it is also very important to focus on the substance as I listen carefully to what you've said about corruption and other issues related to a rule of law situation in our country. So we have to balance both. We have to dig deep, but we have to believe it is eventually, soon, going to happen. Second, uh, Russia's money, Chinese money, Emirates' money is most welcome. Do not pretend that the money is coming only from the EU investors. It is most welcome, but then I'm turning to you, Christian. I would like to use, as we have a friend from UCOM, NATO language, I would like to uh, ask you to try to introduce four caveats when it comes to money coming from others. And there is a lot. We have listened to Eddie's comments in the first panel. One would be that the money is invested into the project that have already been agreed as a core project with the EU in the Berlin process. So if the money is coming to build a railway, let's invest this money into railway that has been listed in Vienna. That would be my first caveat. So not in something completely different, because then our prime minister are not honest to us when they come to the Berlin process. We had a long process of discussing what are the core projects for the Balkans, which are linking us in a connectivity with the EU, but then invest the money into these and not other projects. Second caveat in my mind would be competitiveness clause. Let's make sure that the tendering procedure is as close as possible to the standards that we are learning in the accession process. Caveat number three, and I'm looking at the colleague dealing with environment, let's make sure that environmental dimension of the projects is respecting the standards of the EU. And the caveat number four would be, let's see whether the EU business is also linked to this. So in all honesty, Let's make sure that two out of four caveats are in place when we are dealing with the money coming from the others. Otherwise, we cannot just say, oh, no, we don't need your money. Right. Sorry, guys, this is real life. The third, I want to be very frank to Kosovars, as I was born there and as you might know. So I'm coming from Gnilane. You have two problems when it comes to free movement. One is Bosnia, you pointed out. Another one is wider Europe, the EU. When it comes to the EU, I'm sorry, it's so simple. Ratify in the parliament the agreement reached with Montenegro. Not all decisions are made with the full and unanimous support. I was among the five people in a room deciding on extradition of Milosevic. Not even today we would have a majority if we have a census in Serbia to support the decision. But you just do it, believing this is a must. Therefore, ratify. And yes, then we will all loud and yell at EU to give you the Schengen free travel. Second, you do have a right when it comes to a situation related to Bosnia and Herzegovina. I believe that coming meeting of the three members of the presence of Bosnia and Herzegovina, with the presence of Serbia, might provide for an opening because we are all discussing this, as I did, uh, free movement of people in the region. Perhaps they may refer in their conversation on a need to provide for a free movement of people, which then might uh, lead us into opening some doors to solve this situation. So these are the two very honest answers to what could be done. And the last point related to this energy issue, which is also linked to the visa issue that we have just discussed, real life brings Belgrade and Pristina together in every respect. I'll tell you, 
the interest of Belgrade to do the trade with Pristina is huge. Therefore, please be aware that this is there, the interest is there, but there is also a very a great amount of a goodwill. My Hartig was here a minute ago. He and his colleagues are very much engaged in facilitating dialogue. But we need to have continuation of the dialogue. For that, we need to have a stable authority, both in Belgrade and in Pristina, to be able to agree and implement. I trust the dialogue. I believe we are this close to complete it. Yeah. This close might mean another year or two, not 10 as I was referring at the end of the date for the EU. I am believer in an agreement, but be aware, for issues like this one, there is need to talk to Belgrade. Honestly, with an interest right. invested from both sides. Thank you and apologies. No, no, no apologies. Thank you for very that good. very, very uh, wise message, I think, at this time. So, Christian, uh, final uh, word for you. Lots of issues have been raised, including just now by Goran, but also the voice of youth. And also, is there a sense of complacency uh, in the EU about its role in the region? Yeah, I think I'll start with uh, Stefano Stefanini's question about uh, if we can call it complacency or we call it 1990s. Stefano, I, I don't, this is not the picture I have when it comes to the engagement as regards Western Balkan. Uh, I think there is a strong political engagement. There is also a strong engagement when it comes to instruments in order to address issues that we have now discussed, the economic issues, but also to be assisting the countries in their reforms which are difficult and which are substantial to an extent which we didn't do with those who came in in the beginning of this century. And the reason was fairly straightforward. The reforms in Western Balkan are more demanding simply because I think there are more people in the Western Balkan who would not like to see the reforms and who would be happy with the situation as it stands today. And therefore, politically, it is more demanding. And that explains also that engagement is stronger. Now, in relation to, uh, to um, other third countries' interest in Western Balkan, I think what you said is, is the exactly correct thing. There's nothing wrong with Chinese money. There's nothing wrong with anybody's money being invested in projects in the Western Balkan. As long as, from our point of view, and that's the advice we are giving, it's in line with the political priorities that has been agreed between the six, mm -hmm. and along the line of the priorities that we have been discussing. It's not about us telling which investments should be here and there, but it is for us to say, listen, we have agreed on this, why do you invest in that? And it's absolutely right that it needs to be done in competitive ways. We cannot have, uh, you know, uh, entrepreneurs in Serbia competing with... Uh, Chinese entrepreneurs on unfair, unfair, unfair levels. And also the other two elements you mentioned, I think, are very relevant from that angle. So no problem with that. You asked about free trade agreements. There's only one thing that, that uh, any country would have to have in mind who would like to become a member of the EU, and that is that you will be a member of the customs union, which means that you will have the same trade policy as the EU. And that's something that we are informing those who are in that track about. And then it's up for the country to take the decision that they would like to take. Generally speaking, when it comes to trade, my strong advice would be to focus very much the efforts on the regional trade and on the trade with the EU, because that's where the real potential for economic growth is, and that's where it's possible to see, to see that, that going forward. On Kosovo, I agree with you what you said about the dialogue, essential. Uh, focus needs to be there. Uh, and I think you're right that if the right focus is there and the right political willingness is there, we will see it moving forward and also being concluding. And it's important because the full normalization is essential for Serbia in order for its ambition, and that is also essential for Kosovo in order for Kosovo to move forward. And the visa, we all know what needs to be done. And the only thing we say is do it. And then the Commission will come forward with its recommendation up to for the Member States to take the decision. And so far what we have seen of visa is that this tends to follow that way forward. On the youth issue, I think um, essential. We didn't touch upon it. Education and skills is probably one of the major issues for reform in the Western Balkan that needs to be looked into. Uh, that will provide for a better workforce, but also, of course, better environment for everything that was discussed previously as regards rule of law, corruption, and so on and so forth. 
And I think that is something which we are very keen to come in and, and support. And exchange in that context is an essential element. 20,000 is the number of exchanges between Western Balkan and the EU. And that is on both directions. So it's something that is moving forward quite heavily. And, and I think we should continue to push for it and see to that it, that it happens. And finally, just one word about what you said, which I think is absolutely essential. When we talk about the economy, we tend to land on which investments we should do, how we can see to that the investments is coming and at the right place. We look into how we can lift up the non-tariff barriers of trade. Essential is what you said about corruption, uh, rule of law, that you actually can trust the judicial system. If that is not the case, and if that is not moving forward and progressing, then of course the efforts that are being done in all the other elements will not be able to ripe the benefits that we would like to see. So Christian, uh, can we then assume that your new strategy that we are expecting in February will incorporate some of these elements and make a, maybe a more forceful, uh, a forceful prod and pressure on, on the region? Will, will all the different points of view, education, skills, corruption, rule of law, um, reconciliation, will all of those figure high on your strategy? Shada, you, you don't expect me to, to, sure. give a, to give a readout of something which no, has not yet been written. But what I can say is that I think the debate here shows what the challenges are. And it would be a bit surprising if what we are coming forward with is not addressing what are relevant challenges for the future of this region and how we can support the region to move forward in the direction that we all want to see. Because as we've seen, 2018 is going to be quite a pivotal year from many points of view for, for the region. So thank you. Join me in saying thanks to our panelists. Um, thank you also for your questions. And I, and I do apologize. I have to be quite short because we really need interaction with the panel. So now we have a, another a nice break, uh, some refreshments outside. We have our final panel. Uh, which is ongoing local. But before that, we're really privileged to have uh, Bojo Vrešco, uh, traditional genre of folk music from Bosnia-Herzegovina, uh, the Sefta music. So please come back at 12 o'clock. Thank you.